Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview again Adam Shire, the CEO entrepreneur and co-founder of Siri, sold to Apple. Uh, Adam is also the co-founder of Viv Labs, uh, which he sold to Samsung a few years ago. Uh, he's also a venture partner at Project Voice Capital Partners, a VC fund focused on voice and conversational technologies. So welcome back, Adam. Thank you, Julian. Great to be here. Great. So Adam, uh, since there's been so much hype about chat GDP and generative AI, you've been a pioneer in the world of AI. I thought it would make sense for us to talk about this whole trend, right? So uh, what I'd like to talk about first is obviously what is chat GPT or generative AI, and why there's so much hype about it these days. And then we'll talk about some of the most exciting use cases that you've seen with ChatGPT and, and so on. And then we'll talk about uh, whether or not ChatGPT or similar AI technology could end up uh, eliminating jobs, right, uh, in the future. So how does it sound? Sounds good, I'm ready. Great, so uh, maybe to begin with, could you start by telling us uh, what exactly is uh, ChatGPT or what people call sometimes as generative AI? Sure. So ChatGPT is actually a, a program from a specific company called OpenAI yeah. that launched towards the end of last year. And it's a successor. They had come out with previous versions, GPT-3, GPT-2. Yeah. But this, this new ChatGPT was... Uh, surprising step up. Each version gets bigger and bigger. It's trained over more data, trained with more computation. Mm -hmm. And you could see it be do some interesting things. But this last version called 3.5, I think surprised even experts in this field. Were you surprised? That, oh, uh... I, was I was shocked. I was shocked. Really? And what's, what's crazy is I've been watching this technology from the beginning. So yeah. the very first papers that came out on what's called transformer architectures mm -hmm. using reinforcement learning. So 2017, I was working with a team uh, on, that, on that work. And so I watched it. I saw uses of it, 2018, yeah. 2019. In 2020, GPT-3 came out. I'm like, oh, okay, that's it's getting a little bit better than yeah. I expected. And as I said, uh, last year, 2022, at the end, out came a new version, and it was surprising and shocking to me. And you even saw, though I was waiting for it, even though I was waiting for it, yeah. Uh, I mean, OpenAI, right? Um, it's funny because the, the CEO, right, um, Sam, I think his name is, yes. I remember talking to him when I was at IDC like 10 years ago, and he was at another startup, and then he became, I think, partner uh, with the Accelerator, right? And so what was surprising to me is how Microsoft, right, basically invested 
into OpenAI, and then afterwards Google, right? Google was so quick to say, hey, we've got one like that too, right? Oh yeah, so the way I see it, so they invested, Microsoft didn't just invest, they invested $10 billion. I read that, yes. In, into a startup, so it's not just a minor investment. Yes. And you're right, everyone, Facebook, Google, is trying to capture Mindshare. Now, mm -hmm. the reason is, I say that every 10 plus years, the way we interact with computers changes. Yeah. Uh, so if you think in I the mid, eight, mid 80s, we had the mouse and Windows, and uh -huh. two powerful companies emerged, Microsoft and Apple, to really mm -hmm. capitalize on the graphical user interface. Yeah. 10 plus years later, mid 90s, now we were with the web and we were learning a new type of interface with yeah. hyperlinks, URLs, bookmarks, all these new web notions. And certain companies emerged as dominant in this new internet thing. Mm -hmm. 10 plus years later, the smartphone came, 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. And again, there was one major winner and a minor winner, namely Apple and Android, in a sense, yeah. all the Android, right? And the companies really um, became successful for that decade. And I believe, and I've been predicting that around 2020 to 2022, yeah. a new interface paradigm would emerge. And that's why I started Viv Labs to kind of work yeah. in that space, et cetera. But I said that a conversational assistant, something I remember you that. Talk yeah, you said to that. about yeah. any services, uh, any questions, that would become, it's not going to replace a graphical interface. It won't replace mobile or the web. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a major new paradigm. And whereas we fell a little bit short with Viv Labs, we, we create a great technology, but it didn't make the wide stream adoption. Yeah. I think ChatGPT broke through and will uh, create this whole new era around conversational interface. So I know That's when we talked the, the first time, yeah, you talked to me about converse, conversational AI. And one thing you told me was the issue that those like a Siri or, a, you know, a Google Assistant, right? Was that the, uh, when you were talking to, say you would talk to a Siri on an iPhone and then you go and talk to a Siri on an iPad, they have no recollection of what you talked about. There is no memory, right? Yes. So are you saying that with ChatGPT, they would have that kind of recollection? What I, what I, it, it actually doesn't yet, but I think it will be possible. There were a few other things with Siri and Alexa that fell short. Number yeah. one, they could only handle a fixed set of tasks, like what's mm -hmm. the weather, set a timer, yeah. right? And if you ask something outside of its scope, it failed miserably, Yeah. right? Uh, the second thing is it could only handle simple questions. So mm -hmm. you could say, uh, where does my sister live? And it'll say she lives in Boston. You could say, what's the weather in Boston? It's sunny. But you yeah. can't say, what's the weather where my sister lives? Yes. And you're like, why not? But it can't compose or put together um, multiple tasks into a complex task. Mm -hmm. So Viv Labs, we set out to try to do both of those things. Yeah. as well as be able to access it from any device, as you said, with memory. Mm -hmm. um, but but ChatGPT and other large language models, they've broken through on those first two. 
you can now ask an assistant pretty much anything and get an extremely reasonable and reasoned answer. Now, mm -hmm. it may not always be accurate. Well, yeah. it may lie a little bit or what they say, hallucinate. So the facts may not always be perfect. But the, but when it writes back, you'll be like, whoa, that's an impressive answer. And the second thing is you can ask it complex tasks. So, for example, um, I'm planning uh, my 25th wedding anniversary. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. And I want to go for two weeks down the, the West Coast. Yeah. So I said, plan an itinerary down the West Coast of California um, for two weeks. Recommend cities I should stop at, places yeah. to stay, and things to see and do. And it's for my, my 25th wedding anniversary. Yeah. And with that, that's something no Siri, no search engine could ever attempt to answer. Yeah. And yet ChatGPT can say, here's an itinerary. First, it said, congratulations on your 25th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. Here's an itinerary that will be romantic and, and have the best aspects of California. And it went and it said, day one and two, go here. Day, uh, so you did that, four. you tried that and you did it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and the coolest part is it was not trained specifically for that task, mm -hmm. right? It was not, you could ask it any complex question and you'll get a surprisingly interesting answer for pretty much anything. So it's not like it was built to do that or built to do something else. It has a very, very broad scope. So I would say those two things that I thought were the next step for conversational AI mm -hmm. from the generation of Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant was broad scope, you can ask it anything, and complex tasks that compose multiple steps and multiple aspects. Yeah. And large language models like ChatGPT are doing that now, and it's it's impressive. And let me ask you, um, so I tried ChatGPT, right? And I was quite impressed by the, you know, the, the answer that it gave me. Uh, but are you also saying that ChatGPT or similar technologies could understand my preferences? So when you ask about the use case, give me your a, a trip recommendation, right? It would also be based on my personal preferences. It would know that as well now. So ChatGPT and similar technologies, they have a context window. Yeah. Of about today, it's about 8,000 characters. Okay. So you can put in any question you have as long as it is about 8,000 characters. And part yeah. of your question can be your preferences. So I could have said, I'd like to plan a trip for my 25th wedding anniversary, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then I'm a vegetarian. I like oh. uh, basketball and sports. I da, 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 and I can enter in that information as part of my query or as context to the query. But you have to tell him, you have to tell ChatGPT, these are my preferences. It's not like he knows already what your right. preferences are. It does not know anything already, but it's not too hard to write a program that saves your preferences. Oh, yeah. Injects them as the initial context. Yeah. Uh, for anything you say before, you know, you type plan the wedding trip, it can add at the front of that query anything you've saved as your preferences. 
up to that limit. And that, yes. that limit, that context limit is going to get larger and larger over time. But today, you know, 8,000 characters is a lot, but it's not enough for everything. I can't put in all my medical records and all my, you know, everything I have about me that might be interesting. Yeah, and so uh, that's a good point. Now, a quick question on chat GPT or similar technologies. The, for the most part, when I've seen people use it, like they write a question, right? And you type it back, just writing, right? Could yes. you also have a voice interface as well? A voice Absolutely. Like I mean, okay. putting a voice interface, having it, in fact, there are already apps and Siri shortcuts and Alexa skills that just take the words, send it to chat GPT, speak it back. I've also see. seen versions where they've hooked up an avatar, you know, meaning a human-like oh, really? face. And, and I've even seen a robot, a robot. So literally a physical robot you can walk up to that has a face and some expressions. Yeah. And you talk to it through speech recognition. Behind the scenes, it just sends the text of what you said uh, to ChatGPT, gets the response, and then it speaks it and it animates it. It's a pretty compelling and somewhat eerie experience. But that is, you know, patching on speech or even a robot on the front end mm -hmm. um, is easy, right? That's just technically, it's, it's just gluing on a few other pieces. The yeah. hard part is knowing what to say and do for pretty much any question. But like you said, I mean, it's quite impressive of what you can do today, right? And from where, you know, Siri or Google Assistant, how far we've come, right? <clears throat> so. Uh, going back to the the vendors like uh, you know Microsoft and Google and even Facebook, right? Um, uh, some people have been saying that uh, ChatGPT with Microsoft could disrupt Google dominance in search. What what do you think? You think there's a not it's a possibility or what? Yeah, I think search will change for sure. Yeah, uh, search has been from an interface from a user point of view almost the same. For 20 years since it first yeah. came out. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you want to get links to, to documents, mm -hmm. but sometimes you just want a really good answer, right? And yeah. we've seen a little bit of that in search where you type into a search box, what's the weather? It might actually give you a little one box, meaning it'll actually answer the question, or restaurants in Palo Alto, it'll show you a list. So yeah. in the past, search has started to incorporate very simple assistance into it, meaning give you the answer, not just the links. Mm -hmm. um, but now with, with large language models, you can have much more interesting and complex queries. Like, you know, the example of my, my trip uh, this summer, that, you know, what, I don't want links to a web page, I want something to help me figure out what am I doing on Monday and Tuesday, and where should, how many days should I stay in Monterey or whatever, right? Yeah, that is that's what I want, and so I think an assistant and search will blend together much more. And then if I say to an assistant, "Give me web pages or links, take me to this mm -hmm. web page or show me web pages," then it can. But for many things, I'm just going to say, give me the answer or help me work through or talk about the answer. So, yeah, yeah it's a big deal. It could change search. Um, I think there's a, a little company called you.com, which is doing a search 
competitor to Google. Yeah. Yeah. They were one of the first to integrate um, large language models and um, and search technologies. Then Bing came out recently, you know, Microsoft's search yes. engine. You can imagine that Google needs to do something mm-hmm. to say, hey, we can do this too. We're part of it. Don't forget about us. Um, because every time that new paradigm emerges, remember, there's usually two winners, you know, mm-hmm. Microsoft and Apple for the GUI, you know, two big companies for the web, two yeah. big technologies for mobile. Well, there's probably going to be two winners, you know, the the one that's most popular and then kind of the secondary slightly counterculture, right? Um, what do you think is going to be the winner? Do you think that those two winners are going to be? That's a good question. Number one is Microsoft has been incredibly uh, impressive in how it's adapted over the decades. So yeah. they were the first winner with the graphical interface. If you remember, Bill Gates, right around 93 or 4, came out with a book talking about the future. Mm-hmm. Two months later, he rewrote the book because the internet was just starting. Yeah. And he said, I came out with a book two weeks, two months ago. Here's the new updated edition, two months later, which had a huge chapter on the internet. And he yep. said, Microsoft is now an internet company. We are going to do everything to integrate. Yep. And same with mobile. They tried to get heavy into mobile. They didn't mm-hmm. succeed, but they're very good at capture, you know, seeing a major trend and being relevant. So I wouldn't put it past Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Additionally, where you know what companies have a lot of our text and and text interfaces, mm-hmm. Microsoft and Google are two. Why? Microsoft has Outlook with all my calendar and email. Yeah. Google has Gmail, right? So they both yep. have that. Microsoft yep. has Word uh, and PowerPoint. A lot of text in that. Yep. Google has Google Google Slides and Google Docs, et cetera. So both are, and, and these technologies, large language models, are primarily about text input mm-hmm. and text and maybe graphics and commands output. Um, so there'll be perfect things to put into your email systems, into your writing tools. So Microsoft realizes that they're going in hard yeah. Um, they say it will be integrated in every technical, every product they have. And they have a lot of text-based products. So I think they have a good shot. Google uh, has many of the same kinds of tools as Microsoft. So I think it's well-positioned. And they are experts at scale. They are experts at running machine learning algorithms for the entire internet on massive amounts of computers. And what does this technology need? It's very computational. It requires a lot of data and a Mm -hmm. lot of processing. And who's got the most data? Who's got the most processing? It's Google, in my opinion. So I think Google is maybe a year or two behind. Really? OpenAI and Microsoft. I think so. I think so. Uh, And and Facebook and Amazon and Apple. Um, but if you're looking from a long run perspective, who has the real DNA, the real skills to succeed in this space, Mm -hmm. I think Google has the, uh, 
the most experience in what's needed. Yep. And so I would say for the short term, Microsoft will be the leader. Mm -hmm. Google and Facebook and others will be like, me too, me too. We've, yep. got, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. We've got stuff, but they're playing catch up. Uh, they want it, but they want to capture that mind share. And uh, I think in the long run, like two years plus, I think Google can take the lead again. So that, yeah. that's my guess. I think you. I think what you say makes sense. Uh, there was also an interesting comment that I that I read. I think people maybe from like Google or or Facebook when OpenAI came out, right? They were saying, well, you know, the the, the work that uh, to put together OpenAI was based on research that was done at Facebook and Google, and yeah. so they were kind of arguing that's our kind of our work, right? And they're taking advantage of it now. Yeah, that's right. But. Um... As I said, it kind of got better incrementally. Yeah. And, you know, there was the version two, version three, and then there was version 3.5. And at 3.5, everyone went, whoa. It's the fastest adopted technology in history. That's right. There's yeah. something like 300 million people signed up in the first two months. Yeah. And more than 100 million daily active users. It's the, it's everyone in the world said, whoa, like this is this is crazy, right? So why is it? It wasn't because OpenAI had better algorithms. Mm -hmm. and it might not even have been that they had better data, but they got, they hired um, some people who were able to scale this up efficiently very, very well. Like, I mean, like engineers, you mean? Engineers, low-level engineers who can really? squeeze, squeeze out the greatest amount of compute juice out of that lemon, right? And it, it's an art. And I think that their models were bigger and bigger than anyone had ever tried before. And it went like this, getting better and better, and then zoom, you know. And when you it, say better and better, you mean the, uh, the intelligence of it or the speed? Or what are you talking about? Not the speed, um, but the intelligence. So okay. when you type something in, the question is, do you get a reasonable answer? Yeah. And the, what's different, it's very subtle, right? You got answers. If you use GPT-2 or use GPT-3, you got answers for lots of things. Yeah. But they weren't that great. I can't explain it, but the quality and the intelligence wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. But what was different with this later generation was it really seemed to understand the implicit nuances and concepts behind my question, right? So when I asked, you know, I'm planning my wedding anniversary itinerary, do this, that, and the other. Yeah. It comes, it goes, oh, first, congratulations on your wedding wedding anniversary. So it's almost That's like it's person. It's very personal. Right. And it was like, now who would know to say congratulations? If I had just said I'm going on a yes. business trip, it wouldn't have said congratulations. If I, mm -hmm. right, it was surprisingly like it knew what a wedding was, it knew what an anniversary was, it knew that that's something you should congratulate it. Like mm -hmm. all of a sudden, the result, you know, you're like, whoa, a human would have said that. Yes. But humans know so many things that are not written down. No one has written down in a program anywhere that if someone does wedding anniversary, you should say congratulations. Just no but one bothers to write it down because everyone knows it, but no one, you know, 
But how do computers know that? It's not written down. You don't well, go on so a web page saying, make sure to congratulate them. It just doesn't exist. Everyone knows it. Yeah. So those common sense reasoning aspects, human-like, you know, oh, there's a concept and this is a good thing and you should congratulate. Like, there is subtlety, uh, impressive subtlety in coming out with that phrase, which was entirely appropriate. It felt great. And when you think about it, how did it know to do that? If I had said I'm, you know, taking a business trip or doing, you know, visiting colleges or whatever, it, it would not have been appropriate to say, you know, congratulations yeah. on your business trip. That would be stupid. Yeah. Right? How does it know? So that that's what I mean by all of a sudden it made everyone, when you interact with this thing, it makes you take a step back. Like it really understood, not just the words, because we didn't really talk about what is this technology at its core. It's kind of like an auto, auto correct in your phone. Like you remember when it's or an yeah. auto predict? It'll suggest yeah. the next word. Yeah. But on steroids, it can predict the next word and the next word and the next word, and in fact, it can write the whole thing for you by just doing that. Yeah. So. If, but you would think that if it's going to predict just a few words, that's very superficial. It doesn't understand the words that it's generating. It's just doing statistics and frequency and, mm -hmm. you know. But having it say congratulations, now here's your itinerary. Wait, that's, it, it seems to understand the humanness of the situation more than I would have thought a statistical, you know, word generator would be able to do. So well, that... I know you like magic, so it almost feels like magic. But look, at the end of the day, it, it's all based on some type, some types of technologies, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like when a friend told me, "Hey, we were talking about." He was working for Magic Leap, right, the AR company, and yeah. he said, "Look, for me." Magic Leap or AR, it's all about uh, I think geometry and math, or he said something like that. Right, so in very simple word, right? Uh, from an engineering standpoint, is it very complex to to build something like this? No, no, no. So literally, what that's kind of what's shocking. The algorithm that existed, reinforcement learning, has existed for a while. Yeah, there were some small breakthroughs about what's called an attention model. Mm -hmm. uh, around 2017. So what does that mean? So let me just explain how it works. So if I say he is, predict the next word, you're going to have in your head a set of probabilities. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be fun, tired, whatever. And words like uh, ice cream, not appropriate. It's just not going to work. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So largely it's based on that. And there used to be a window of of time. So it would look at the last few words to predict mm -hmm. the next word. But with the attention model, the breakthrough was that sometimes words that happen way sooner. So if I said, so Julian, who blah 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 blah, he. Now it's not the blah 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 that predicted he, it's Julian, which was like 30 words, 50 words before. Yeah. So 
the word Julian has an outsized importance in predicting that word he. Mm -hmm. And so learning, so the attention model learned that it should pay attention to this one little word 30 words ago, Julian, mm -hmm. when it's making its prediction. So that was the one technical breakthrough that happened. But, you know, it's published. Everyone can do it. It's not hard to write. Yeah. But what really mattered was the scale, applying this on huge amounts of data and building up these neural networks with trillion, nearly a trillion parameters, like the mm -hmm. size and the compute. All of a sudden, it was able to start to almost feel human. Yeah, and, and it's, um, it's always learning, you mean? It's like you're feeding a model, it's always learning and learning and learning, right? Um, there's a training phase and a runtime phase. Okay. The training phase, they take books and web and huge amounts of data and they crunch. Mm -hmm. And then they produce what's called a, mo a model. It's this yep. giant thing that it's learned. Yep. And then that, that model will run. So when I type a question, it's going to run against that model. So mm -hmm. the model's not actually changing any when I use it today, but it's, it's learned a whole lot up front and then it uses it when I make that request. Okay. So, the, so there really are these two phases, like a pre-trained, huge learning phase. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, then I start to use it and it's really not learning in that instance, but it's learned a lot. Uh, so how long is the learning phase, do you think? The learning phase for that? Uh, many, many days. Okay. So a typical run on thousands and thousands of computers will be several weeks to do one single training phase. So I saw a recent paper. This isn't, I don't have inside knowledge on OpenAI, but mm -hmm. someone has created a similar model. They said we had about 2,000 GPUs, which are high-performance graphic computers, right? Mm -hmm. they number crunch at huge. We had 2,000. And we ran the model continuously for 21 days. So that gives you a sense. Yeah. It takes an enormous amount of energy, an enormous amount of compute, and in fact, enormous amount of expense. So it, one of the challenges is that maybe only the big successful companies like mm -hmm. a Google yeah. or an Apple who have more money than the United States Treasury, literally, yes. maybe they're the only ones who can play in this space. Mm -hmm. A startup, we're not, they're not going to have $10 million or whatever it costs to do a single training run. Mm -hmm. They're going to get that kind of money. So uh, that's another kind of issue is that because it's so compute heavy yeah. and expensive, maybe only the bigger companies can really compete. Well, maybe that's why OpenAI literally partner with Microsoft, right? Because they don't have the those types of resources and the money, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, hey, uh, what are the most exciting and maybe extreme use cases or fascinating use cases that you've come across with ChatGPT? You kind of talk about that with robots, and but any, any really like outstanding or just amazing use cases you come across? Um, so I know a lot of people who are using this um, for everything they do in their life. Yeah. So it's not one thing, it's many things. Uh, marketing, mm -hmm. for instance, is an incredible use case. If you're trying to write marketing copy, 
yeah. or you know build a website it can write the copy almost better than you do the website you can write the code you mean well so let's talk just about the words first i'm going yeah. there yeah um so it can write marketing copy incredibly well you can just say i have a you know a, a, a blender that makes juice you know much faster and better and it looks great yeah write some marketing messages for me and it will I'll give you an like example that. i was i'm trying to hire someone mm-hmm. and i said i'm looking for i, I want to oh, i have an open role i'm looking for a b c d and i just had some features you know qualifications yeah. I said, write a job description for me with these requirements. Hmm. And it put together a full, beautiful, fleshed out job description, better than I could have written in you know, a few seconds, right? Uh, I was using this with my wife. She goes, what should we have for dinner tonight? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, uh, ChatGPT, recommend 20 healthy dishes that taste great, um, and work for a vegetarian or pescatarian. There you go. There it was. Uh, tell me more about number three. Can you uh, adapt the numbers to be two people? There it is. Here, here's another example. So as you know, I speak French. Not yeah. very well, but you know, I learned it 30 years ago. Yep. So I said, chat GPT, I'd like to practice my French. I said, let's talk about a topic I don't know very well. Let's converse back and forth. Mm-hmm. And um, if I make mistakes, please correct me. Why don't we talk about the circus? I don't have a lot of vocabulary in the circus. Yeah. And off we went in a back and forth discussion about the circus in French. And it was correcting me as I made mistakes. It was like, and it's, it's perfect grammar. So you were typing... Yeah, in French, and, and it would correct you. Yeah, it would correct me, and it would. We would have a conversation, and and anytime I didn't understand something, I could just say in it. I could just say in English, "What does blah 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 mean?" And it would answer me, and then we would go back to a French conversation. Huh. It was like I was interacting with a French tutor. Really, well, really. You know, my my kids have a French tutor. They don't quite like the interaction, so I might just have them try that. That's a supplement. That's a, I don't want to yeah. replace the human. But yes. the, um, and let me, you mentioned coding. Yes. This for me was one of the most surprising applications um, because again, the base technology is just predicting words. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to say, write a poem about Michael Jordan in the style of Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. And it will, mm-hmm. but that's just predicting words. I go, it doesn't really understand those words, does it? But mm-hmm. to code, it needs to actually understand what's happening. It needs to yeah. understand what every line does, how it changes things. So I first started typing, write me a, uh, a subroutine that will do X. Loop, out it came, beautiful. And I go, okay, that's good, but I want to ha- change it so that this happens instead. And it rewrote its own code. It understood what it had. It wasn't just spitting back some pre-existing thing. I can interact with it, say what I wanted to change Mm. in English. And it understood enough to make the right changes. I I thought that was, that blew my mind. And there's some evidence 
that by learning on code, by training its models over text from, from code repositories like GitHub, mm -hmm. it actually learned things about causality, loops, iterations, all these concepts of logic that mm -hmm. matter for programming, and it backported it into things like, I want my itinerary uh, to, for my wedding anniversary. Right now it knows there's causality, there's loops, there's data structures. So even though I'm just talking about, I wanted cities, hotels and places, things to see, you can imagine it creating a program behind the scenes to answer my request with a data structure of cities, places and things to do. And it's, yeah. it's writing a loop, needs to go over 14 days and I need to make sure these things sequentially uh, align, etc. So there's evidence that when I ask normal life questions, it's learned enough about how programs work to give me a logical and rational answer. And that I never saw coming. That's amazing. Yeah. Which I uh, bring my next question is, you know, do you think that chat GPT or generative AI type technologies will someday eliminate jobs? Because many of the tasks that you describe, right? So writing a marketing collateral coding, I mean, that did are tasks that people do. So that's a great question. All technology eliminates jobs or changes jobs, right? Yeah. So you can imagine the toll booth operator, you know, who used to take your money as you went past the toll, and they just took the dollar and gave you change, took the dollar yep. and gave you change. That's been in a sense eliminated, but probably for the good, because the human being sitting there all day long doing that yeah, can guess. probably be doing something better with uh, their time. So previously it was kind of these, um, uh, these very low skill kind of manual jobs that technology would automate out. Higher level jobs have technology changes as well. Imagine being a real estate agent 30 years ago before the, the web and a real estate, agent, real estate agent now. It's a very different job, meaning now you're using tools and Zilla, you know, MLS systems and what have you. Yeah. Aspects are the same. You still interact with people. You still go on site, you still do things, but your job has changed. Yeah. And I think this technology will change every job. Uh, I think humans adapt. Um, and someone said, and I think this is the best that I've heard. So now ChatGPT and large language models is getting into the higher skilled jobs. Maybe you're a coder. Yeah. Maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a, a, an educator you know, your, your language tutor. Mm -hmm. I don't think that uh, AI will eliminate humans from these jobs, mm -hmm. but humans using AI will eliminate humans not using AI from those jobs. That right? makes sense. And, yep. and so I think everyone will start to adapt. So it's the same kind of thing, thinking like the NBA, yep. right? There was, uh, a, you know, data science used to be not a job in yep. the NBA. Now teams have data science departments yep. and they're growing large, yep. right? And it's it's not that um, it, it's become a required tool. Like if you're not looking at the data as well, there's always the 
the eye, you know, you can kind of see with your own eyes if someone's mm-hmm. good or not good, right? Old school yeah. people say, no, 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 there's the, the uh, eye test. That's important, but you also need the data. And, and every team now uses data science as part of what they do. Yeah. Um, I think every job, lawyers, teachers, educators, every, everything, uh, and, and even sports teams will find ways to use this technology to give them an advantage, and their jobs will change, um, but not be eliminated. But I think, yeah, I could see the chat GPT or, or generative AI type technologies being used by teams to, you know, uh, improve their model to predict and reduce injuries, for example, right? To give them insights that they didn't have before, you know, combining the sleep data, you know, with the GPS data, with the uh, muscle fatigue data, for example, right? And then the AI will make sense of it, right? Yeah, I, I think so. It's today, it's largely text as input. Yeah. And text and other things as output. So anything that you can feed text into, and for instance, statistics yeah. are is text, right? You just put in box scores and historical data, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and uh, the technology is very, very good at learning patterns and drawing conclusions from text. Right. Yep. That's what it does at its base core. Um, and so, yeah, it could be, you know, whoever you can decide what what that will be. If you take, for instance, like gene gene therapy and drug discovery, mm-hmm. well, genes, you know, the genetic code mm-hmm. is an alphabet. Right. It's yeah. got these four characters. Yeah. It's long. But I think gene therapy and, and pharmaceutical field will be revolutionized by large language models because they can represent their knowledge easily in text. And this mm-hmm. can learn um, patterns and concepts and responses uh, from text uh, in a way that I haven't seen before in AI. That makes sense. So, hey, last question, because I, I don't want to keep you too long, but what advice would you give to any organization, a business, a team that is looking into chat GPT, but they don't really know where to start? What, what advice would you give them? Let's say you're talking to the warriors, the Golden State Warriors, right? And I'm sure they're looking into that. I what wish. do you tell them about chat GPT? Why they should do it? How they should do it? What would be your advice right now? So the, the first thing is I, I am not, uh, I create a lot of technologies, but I don't get excited about a lot of technologies. Okay. Right. NFTs, metaverse. Uh, you know, I know you're into a lot of these things. Crypto, Web three. Yeah. Um, I I tend I'm less excited about most technologies I see yeah. than the average masses. Uh, this, on the contrary. I think will be really important. I mm-hmm. literally think just like kids today can't remember a time before the web and they can hardly remember a time before smartphones. I go, we used to carry paper maps in our car to tell how to get around. Like they can't yep. even conceive of that. We That's used true. to have to go to a library in a card catalog to look up any information. Yep. Like they can't imagine it. I literally think chat 
GPT style uh, large language models will be so important in the coming decade that kids will not be able to imagine a time before it existed. So, mm -hmm. and I don't say that about metaverse or NFTs or crypto or any of this. I don't get excited about many things. So that's the first mm -hmm. message for me is that from my viewpoint, this is exciting and important in a big way. In yeah. terms of how to get involved, it's super easy to use. You know, Bing and OpenAI and many other companies, U.com, many other companies are offering for free currently uh, yeah. access to these tools. And all you have to know uh, to use them is how to speak a language. English, yep. French, choose your language. That's it. Now, it's kind of garbage in, garbage out. So if you put in a simple question, maybe you get a simple answer. If you put a much more rich and interesting question phrased differently, mm -hmm. you get a richer, more interesting answer. So it takes some practice and learning, but no special skills. And you can learn that. Go out and find YouTube videos on what's called prompt engineering. Prompt engineering is how do you phrase your input to these systems uh, so that you get the best output that you're looking for. Uh, and there are many tips and, and things that you can easily, anyone can easily and quickly learn. You don't have to be a computer scientist or a data analyst. Mm -hmm. You can start trying these technologies today. And then for every aspect of your business, marketing, uh, audience engagement, strategy, you know, high-level strategy, low-level strategy. If it's sports-related, try yeah. putting in some statistics and asking questions about it. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to type in, uh, on Monday, we're going to play a team that uh, plays small ball, runs really fast, and has two good three-pointers. What strategy should I use? Just to see what it says. It may not yeah. be right. and and um, but I bet it will give you some interesting viewpoints to to kind of test your ideas. And, and you know, it's very good at brainstorming situational type things. I would try that. The last thing I want to emphasize is that this is not a perfect technology. There are many flaws, and I'll highlight a few. One is accuracy is sometimes a problem. It understands the high-level concepts. But the facts that emerge are often hallucinated. You, you can say, give me a bio about, uh, you know, Julian Chire. And it will, even though Julian, that's you, and Chire, that's me, yeah. doesn't exist. It'll write this beautiful bio and it makes it up. And you're like, but that's not real. So, yeah. so don't rely on the, the data that it's presented. But I think that the concepts and the framing and the logic is very interesting. The second thing is most of these models are trained um, a few years ago. So they don't have the latest data in them. When you ask, you know, give me the statistics on Steph Curry, it'll be from 2021, not really? from 2023, for instance. So you be aware that the facts are not always live and they're not always accurate. But that said, um, I think this is an important technology and you should be going around every aspect of your business, um, sales, marketing, you know, strategy and 
and saying, how can we apply this technology? Because I think it's going to be helpful. You'll find ways. Hiring, like the example I gave of, oh, write a job description for me. Oh, that's beautiful. I can use that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, look, this is super interesting. So uh, I think I learned a lot today, um, more about ChatGDP. But look, always a pleasure talking to you, Adam. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. All right. Thank you, Julian. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.